Greetings, my name's Adam Draycott and you are watching the online ministry of St Augustine's Anglican Church here in Inverell. Uh, this has been prepared for the fourth Sunday in Easter, the 2nd of May 2021. Our sentence of scripture comes from Psalm 98. O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvellous things. The Lord has made known his victory and he has revealed his vindication in the sight of the nations. Let's pray. God our Father, look upon us with love. You redeem us and make us your children in Christ. Give us true freedom and bring us to the inheritance you promise. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Come to the ministry of God's Word. Our readings for today come from Genesis chapter 15, Psalm 32, and Romans chapter 4. We are recommencing our series in the book of Romans, so it's a great encouragement. Uh, please be reading uh, Romans during the week uh, as you prepare for the forthcoming 
uh, sermon each Sunday. Today, we're looking at Romans chapter 4. So please pause the screen, read it out loud, um, and then we'll share God's word together. Let me pray. Loving Father, we thank you that we can share together. We thank you for the book of Romans. We thank you for this chapter. Uh, by your spirit, please apply the truth of your word to our hearts uh, that we might grow in Christ and so glorify you. Uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. How can I be right with God? I wonder how you would answer that question. How can I be right with God? Go to church, say your prayers, read your Bible, get baptised, come to communion, do churchy things with churchy people, don't kill anyone. It's not really a question our world asks anymore. How can I be right with God? But it's our most desperate question, our most um, important question. We don't ask the question anymore for two reasons. It requires us to acknowledge that there is a God. That's one thing. The other presumes that we're not right. There's something not right between us and God, and that would require us, both would require humanity to eat humble pie. So it's a question that's not really on the table these days. It's much easier if God doesn't exist. As we open the book of Romans, we are reminded that there is indeed a God who speaks to us, who reveals himself to us. Uh, just to, a very quick recap, chapters 1 to 3. We're told there is a God that's revealed himself and that he is righteous. But the second issue is, not only is God righteous, we are not. We are not in good standing with God. We're all without excuse. We can't appeal to our race, our moral code, our Jewishness, if we're that way. We can't appeal to circumcision or the law. No one is the exception. No one is in good standing. No one is right with God. There's no one, which is great news because we're all in the same boat. But when we come to chapter 3, the big but of Romans is the but now there is a righteousness that we can have and we get that from Christ. God is righteous, we aren't, but we can be in Christ Jesus. That's Romans 1 to 3. In Christ, by faith in him, we can be right with this totally righteous God. Now imagine you've heard all this, you're sitting listening to this, you're uh, part of the gathering in Rome, and this is being read out, and someone, someone up the back pipes up. And they, they want to know, look, this is all pretty new. How does this, all this talk about faith, how does this work for someone like Abraham? I mean, oh, you know, I've never heard so much of this Jesus stuff before. I'd rather talk about God as a higher power. Sounds like plan B, Paul, or plan C, or plan Z. Is this new, Paul? Maybe you're just making this up. Do we just... Paul, are you telling us just to, when it comes to God's word, we should just reset the factory settings, forget the Old Testament. Are you sure? What about Abraham? Well, Abraham's a, he's, he's the big daddy. That's pulling out the big guns. Ah. Uh, but the Apostle Paul says, look at verse 3. What does the Scripture say? Let's open up the Bible. What does the Scripture say? 
Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Boom. Abraham is right with God. Genesis 15. His right standing comes to Abraham as a gift. Genesis 15. Childless Abraham goes outside and looks at the stars of the sky and God says, Mate, you're going to have more children than you can count stars. That's a big promise. And Abraham believed that promise. And Genesis tells us that it was credited to him as righteousness. They're sweet. They're good. They're right. Abraham takes God at his word. Now, if you read verse 4, it tells us that this righteousness, this right standing, isn't paid like a wage is paid. He doesn't earn it. How then? Look at verse 5. To the one who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. Their faith is credited as righteousness. They're sweet. King David agrees. More big guns. Abraham, now King David, verse 7. This is what David says in Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose transgressions, their sins are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. It's not new. This is not new information. All this talk about faith. It's not new. It's not dreamed up by Paul. This is the experience of Abraham. This is the experience of David. They're both talking about it. And in both cases, it comes as a gift. This is the way God relates to Abraham. This is the way God relates to us. This is the way God relates to King David. This is the way God relates to us. None of it is new. Righteousness, this right standing with God, where God does not count our sins that has always been a gift. It cannot be earned. Sin's forgiven. Sin not counted. The blessing comes as a gift. Next question then. Well, who is it for? Who is the blessing for? Verse 9. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised? The Jew says, is it only for us? Or also for the uncircumcised, the Gentiles? We've been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteous, righteousness. It's like Paul is saying, what are we talking about here? We're, still, we're talking about faith. We're not talking about circumcision. Was Abraham given the gift of faith and a right standing before God before he was circumcised or after? What came first? The answer is, verse 10, it's not before. It's not after. But before, I should say, verse 10, not after, but before, 14 years before even. Genesis 15 comes the promise. Abraham believes, chapter 17, uh, he circumcised. Circumcision did not make Abraham right with God. It's just a sign that he already was right with God. He was already a man of faith. Think about the Lord's table. Surely you don't participate in the Lord's Supper in order as a mechanism to being right with God. 
That is impossible. Read Romans chapter 4. Being right with God is a gift. That's the point. You participate in the Lord's Supper because you already are right with God. And so you take and eat and drink. Baptism. You don't participate in order to be right or to get right with God. That's impossible. Why would you think that? Being right with God is a gift. It's all of his grace. It's not by works so that no one can boast. We participate as people who are already right with God. We are already recipients of his gift. The gift of a right standing with God. And so the way God relates to Abraham, that is the way God relates to us. And so verse 11 and 12 makes it very clear. Abraham then is the father of all who believe. He's the father of all, the, all those who are of faith in God's promises. Who hope for what Abraham hopes for. Verse 13. Does the gift of this right standing come through keeping the law then? See, they keep coming at him, don't they? Uh, what about Abraham? What about circumcision? No, Abraham before circumcision. What about the law? No, Abraham. <laughs> Abraham's like 400 years before Moses and Sinai. What, why are we talking about the law? Look at verse 13. It's not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he will be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. You got it. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless. What's the point of it all? So what does the law bring? Verse 15. The law brings wrath. And when there is no law, there is no transgression. The law does not bring the right standing that we need, but the wrath we all deserve. That's what the law brings. It stands to accuse us. It's like a mirror that says you're wrong with God. You don't meet his holy standard. We all fall short. That's what the law does. See, does the law outline the problem or the solution? Works like this. Doctor says, Adam, you've got a fever. I've got a fever, doctor says. Adam, you look like you've got a high temperature. Here, put this thermometer in your mouth. He goes, ooh, you do have a high, high temperature. And then he says, now take the thermometer home and I want you to take the thermometer three times a day until you get better. What do you reckon? No. <laughs> Is the thermometer the solution? No, it's not. No more than the law is the solution. The thermometer tells me there's a problem. Just as the law tells me there's a problem. God doesn't say to us, here, go take the law and you'll be all better. You keep the Ten Commandments, then you'll be all better. But you can't. It doesn't work that way. Ten Commandments are there to show me that I've got a problem. Problem is, there's nobody that's righteous. Nobody meets God's right, holy standard. No one can keep it. All of us fall short. That's the great leveler. The law does not confer blessing no more than circumcision does. 
Ouch. The Jews thought of these things like they were their shelter, like circumcision was a shelter from God. It would make them right. That law was like a shelter for them. That the, their bloodline even was their shelter. Safe shelters against God's displeasure. And maybe, I don't know what your shelters are. Maybe you've got your own shelters. What could they be? I mean, we find all sorts of ways of currying favour with God. How can I be right with God? Maybe you think it is by going to the Lord's table that you're going to curry favour with God. Or getting your kid done. I'll get my kid done because that'll make him right with God. Or um, I'm going to give. I'm going to give generously, financially. That'll do it. That'll, uh, that'll be a shelter against God's displeasure. I'll be right. We'll be cool. Because I gave. We find all sorts of ways of currying favour with God. Which brings us back to the question, but how can I be right with God? And the answer is, Paul keeps saying, you've got to come back to the gift. You've got to come back to grace. See that God's way of salvation has never changed. You've got to understand faith. See Abraham, the father of all those who have faith. Uh, and so we follow in his footsteps. Look at verse 16. Therefore the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, not only to those who are Jews, but also to those who have faith, who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom we he believed the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. The promise comes by faith. The promise comes by God's grace. What does that all look like? Well, Abraham is our example. Notice one thing. The object. Someone once said you put a strong faith in a weak bridge to get you to the other side and you'll end up in the river. Let me say that again. You put strong faith in a weak bridge to get to the other side and you end up in the river. But weak faith in a strong bridge and you'll get to the other side. See, the important thing in that illustration is the bridge. The object of one's faith is the bridge not the person who possesses the faith. The important thing with faith is not faith in and of itself. Never has been. Faith is only as good as the object. And the object of Abraham's faith is God and his promises and his word of promise. Yep, that's it. Verse 18. Abraham believed in God's word of promise. Faith in God's word. Um, now, this is important. Contrast Abraham now with someone like Adam. Not me, the other one. Uh, Adam disobeyed God's word. Adam ignored God's promises. Adam 
discounted himself from any of God's blessings. The encouragement is don't go the way of Adam. Look at Abraham. Go Abraham's way. Trust God's promises. Enjoy his blessings. And then you've got to ask, well, how strong is his belief? We'll look at verses 19 and 20. Abraham knew his body was as good as dead. 100 years old. Sorry if you're 90-something. Um, apologies, but that, that, I can't change scripture. That's what it says. Uh, Sarah's womb certainly was dead. But look, yet look at verse 20. Abraham did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Wow. It's so much bigger than what Adam had to put up with, isn't it? Don't eat from the tree. Abraham, I mean, my goodness, imagine if you're at a family reunion and you're all there together, you and your children, your grandparents, even great-grandparents with their Zimmer frames. You all sit down together and great-grandmother and great-grandfather stop Sunday lunch and they make an announcement. You're like, oh, here we go. And, and the announcement is this, great-grandma is expecting. <laughs> Incredible! Life will spring forth from a place that is barren and empty, dead even, according to Romans 4. And see here the lesson of faith, that the focus of faith is God and his ability to do what he said. The focus of faith is God. He's the object. And he's good for this. Abraham believes it. He's not put off. Because he is convinced by the power of God. Here's the next thing. Power. Verse 21. The ground of his faith is that God has power to do what he promised. How do you go with that? Look at the blessings. Verse 22. This is why it's credited to him as righteousness. He believes these things. Adam never. Adam didn't. Adam messed it up big time. He denied the blessings, ignored the promise, uh, denied God's word. Didn't go so well. Abraham, this is next level promise, and he believes God is able. God is powerful. God is strong. God will do this. And because that's true, because he is a man of faith, he's righteous. Him and God are sweet. Lastly, let's look at verse 23. The words, it was credit to him, were written not for him alone. Ooh, here we go. Verse 24, but also for us. Here we find our place in the text. Firstly, the Roman audience, and then by extension, us. This is written for us. To whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord, from the dead. This fourth Sunday after Easter, do you believe? Do you believe uh, in Him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead? That He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. And if you believe, do you see your connection to Abraham right now? Do you see the parallel? That God will credit righteousness to you as well. You as someone who believes God's promise. 
what what is it that we're to believe? How is this similar? Well, Abraham believed God could bring life from a dead womb. And we are to believe that God brought life from an empty tomb. That's cool. That is really cool. So we're not so, so different, are we? Let me say that again. Abraham believed God could bring life from a dead womb. We are called to believe that God brought life from an empty tomb. Death the life stuff. And so verse 25, He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification, for our being made right. The resurrection was God's receipt that the price of sin was paid. On account of the cross and resurrection, on account of Jesus, we can be right with God. Are you right with God? Is like asking, is your faith in Christ? That he died your death, he paid for your sins, and that he rose again. Here is the gift unwrapped. Here is the right relationship we desperately need. Our faith must be in the one who was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for us, for our justification. Justification, again, means to be made right with God. That's what Jesus did. His name is Jesus. Abraham believed God's word. Boom, righteous. We believe God's word. The gospel of Jesus. Boom, we're righteous. It's a gift. Do you see that we're a, you're a child of Abraham if you believe? Do you believe the gospel? Do you believe the gospel? And do you believe the gospel in such a way that you too are a person of faith like Abraham? That he is the father of faith, if you like. That he's our spiritual ancestor, if you like. Are you believing the gospel? Are you holding fast to the gift? Or the alternative is, well, you're still harboring hope in your own merit. You're still harboring hope in your own self, in your own idea, your own estimation that you're somehow good enough. Do you have shelters of your own design and making? If you were to die tonight and stand before God in heaven, and God said, why should I let you in? If your answer starts with, because I, because I'm good, because I go to church, because I took the sacraments, because I pray, because I read my Bible, because I'm a parish counsellor, because I taught SRE, because my giving was bigger than most, because I, can I say, self-praise is no recommendation to anybody, especially God. Self-praise is no recommendation to anybody, most especially God. Everyone will stand before God in eternity. We will enter into the valley of the shadow of death. What word are you going to take with you into eternity? What word will you take? There is only one word you need, only one name you need, and it is the name of Jesus. It's not... Jesus alone. And the key 
to mature Christian living is for me to develop a healthy mistrust of myself and my idea of goodness and any shelter I think I can create or make and a healthy and wholehearted trust in all that our Lord Jesus has done on our behalf. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them. Are you? There's another hymn. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to your cross I cling. Naked turn to you for dress. Helpless look to you for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me saviour or I die. What word will you take with you? You'll stand before God in heaven. And all you'll have and all you'll need is Jesus. And he is more than enough. Amen. Amen.